Uh, hey guys, so I'm here with Steve Fraser, and he is a well-known, unbelievable photographer with an unbelievable story that we'll get to. But uh, I'm actually here in Perth, Australia, and had a chance to catch up to Steve because I spoke at a church where Steve is on the board of, and uh, so we get a chance to interact and meet. So, Steve, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for coming to Australia. Absolutely. <laughs> well, welcome to the land down under. <laughs> <laughs> this is the land down under and the faraway land down under with... It's a bit of a trek out of the States, huh? Perth is a bit of a, a, bit of a hike. Yeah. yeah, a bit of a hike. So I'm leaving later today, but I wanted to get a chance to sit down and hear a little bit of your story. Tell us uh, who you are and what do you do right now? Sure. Um, so I am, I am an Aussie. Um, that spends probably not enough time in Australia. Um, I photograph all around the world in wilderness areas. So I work for a bunch of different magazines and freelance for different organisations and governments and different things. And um, yeah, and my work is mainly landscape, bit of wildlife, and occasional underwater playing with sharks recently. Um, yeah, and taking hopefully some beautiful photographs. That's the challenge. Wow. So you okay? Sounds like a Boring, boring life. Boring, yeah. Any yeah. magazines we would know of? Yeah, you'll know some of them, like Australian Geographic and their their parent company in America, Nat Geo, and there's a few others, Wilderness Express, and yeah, so. Amazing, yeah. incredible. And we were outside in the in the living room, and there's a book with your photography, and it's just unbelievably incredible. Well, you got, just... you got the sneak preview because it's officially launched tomorrow. Wow, okay. So Where not... can people find it? If oh, they can they can go online to the website. Yeah, well, just tell us the website. stevefraser.co, C-O. stevefraser.co. And you have to look at it. Even if you don't buy this book or purchase this book, it is beautiful and elegant and absolutely have to look <laughs> at it. Thank you. So uh, I want to hear a little bit of your story. Our conversation around these podcasts is around uh, typically hazardous. It's around the adventures in life, adventures in careers, adventures in lots of things. For you, what I'm so fascinated by is uh, before we get to the, some of the crazy adventures, and I want to hear some weird adventure stories of you being deep in the African bush or <laughs> the Antarctica or whatever, but I want to go to like where your journey started. And from what I know about your story is your journey actually started in mechanics and your journey started in sort of a corporate space before you took this big jump to get into this photography business. So tell me a little bit about where your journey began and how that how you decided to become a Nat Geo photographer. Sure. So um, my story started that um, I was a kid that grew up in what we would say is the bush, you know, the back country, and uh, right up about 2,000 kilometres from here in the northwest of Western Australia. So growing up as a kid, you know, it was a little country town with about eight or 10,000 people, um, predominantly a mining-based town, and I had had my little motorbike as a kid and I would go off exploring the bush at every opportunity. So I don't know that I was ever the best student at school, but I just loved getting out into rivers and creeks and swimming and doing all sorts of fun stuff. And you did all these things without dying. I mean, everything I, everything I hear about Australia, people tell me like, oh, if you go to the bush, there's insects that can kill you, snakes that can kill you, mammals that can spiders, kill you. Spiders. Yeah, spiders. Yeah. How did you do all that as a kid especially? Were your parents just... Oblivious to that, and they I were like, so. "Hey, if he dies, yeah. you know, it was meant to be." <laughs> yeah. uh, well, as a kid, you're not freaked out by leeches. I mean, there's so many things <laughs> that make me anxious about the outback. What did? What did? I mean, did you have any close calls with some? No, I think it's like you become. Oh, you see lots of snakes and stuff. You're sleeping in. You know, you you go swimming as a kid in a river. So and snakes love that environment. So you'd be camping there. You'd have your sleeping bag, and you know there'd be a snake. You know, crawling past. But as a kid, you kind of go, "Well, that's normal, isn't it? That's just mm. like the done thing." 
you know, it's probably like growing up in LA with a crazy LA traffic. You go, that's normal. We go, no, that's insane. I'll take the traffic over a snake slithering into my sleeping quarters. <laughs> I'll take the traffic. I'll take I'll take the 405. So, yeah, um, and then I um, came back to the city, so back to Perth, which is our idea of a city, a couple million people, and um, studied for a little while, um, studied theology and hated every minute of it, <laughs> realised that that wasn't what I was meant to be in life. So okay. I had previous to that left school and became a mechanic, as you said. Um, so I got back into that in the city in a, in a big company here and um, that sort of started like a 25-year journey from being a mechanic to being the owner of it in the end. Wow. Um, and owner of what? Owner of like so a- it, was, it was a big automotive group where we had... Um, I think about 600-odd staff. We had a whole bunch of um, different franchi- car franchises, things like Ford and Volkswagen wow. and things. So like um, dealerships, what we call yeah, dealerships yeah, you'd call them yeah, yeah, yeah. So the same sort of thing. We had about 10 or 12 of those. And wow. we, we originally, the company started um, bringing in Hyundai in Australia back in the late 80s. So that was kind of about when I joined. Um, so it just kind of grew over years. So... Um, yeah, and evolved through that, as I say, from mechanic running some of the service areas and then general manager and then, you know, the, the owner of it offered me a share in the business and the rest was kind of history. Wow. So, so, it was so theology was not for you, but you yeah, into mechanics still, and yeah, into that And space. I suppose you're still dealing with people. Always. You know, it's always about, you know, it's never about cars. You know? yeah. It's like, you know, I suppose people who are in real estate, they deal with people, people yeah. who are in, you know, any environment, it's generally about people. And along that way, were you restless along the way? Were you, I mean, you're clearly always in, not only just in this corporate operational role, but you were creative in elements. You were, yeah, were I you always, into photography? Were you into music? Were you, what, how did you balance those two lives? One that seems relatively uncreative and one that seems really, really creative. Yeah, and I think they are. Um, yeah, I was. It was always, a, I think, a stress, you know, where you felt that pull um, from one, from the corporate to the creative is mm-hmm. the way I look at it. Um, so I started, my dad was a keen amateur photographer. So at 13, in first year at high school, I did a photography class, you know, because I think I had the option of, you know, dressmaking or food and nutrition or something. I thought, well, hang on, there's a dark room and I can hang out with girls. That's got to be a pretty good, <laughs> that's got to be a pretty good place to be. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, so, and I just loved it. You know, it was this go out, take some photos and come and see them come to life. Wow. And it was just, so that became that journey. So I suppose all through that corporate career, I still had that and I would still take chunks of time, you know, holidays, opportunities and go off and do it. And it came and went, you know, as the pressure of life and business and kids and all that came along, then you would do less photography and, you know, more of the other stuff. And then finally came to a head where, you know, I felt like, the time was done, you know, and it was, yeah. it was, I suppose, a spiritual thing for me going, is there something more? Is this something real? Yeah. Um, so and that would be a question for me, like, take me into that moment. When was the first time you had the moment where you're like, great, I started as a mechanic, it's been 25 years, this is obviously super fruitful, both financially and as a career, you're doing great. When do you have the moment where you go... I think I might be done with this because you're you're probably living a life other people would go. Oh my gosh, I'd give anything yeah. to live the life you have. Yeah. How could you be thinking about walking away from this? When does that thought hit your mind, and what do you do with it? Yeah, it became this gradual. It's almost like a tension in your life where you're going, okay, I'm doing this stuff, and as you say, people go, man, you've got this. You're driving these fancy cars. You live in this beautiful home. You travel. You know, it's like this amazing life, and I'm going, I'm really not happy. Mm. You know, it's like I'm doing all that, and. And I looked at it and went, you know, I could stay for the next 25 years doing this and become probably a really wealthy guy, 
but frustrated, you know, mm. and unfulfilled and going, I, I kind of have this stress that just kept building and building of going, you know, I think this is what I'm meant to be doing. So I said to myself. When you say this, had you already had the thought like, I can be a photographer, I could travel, I could be an adventurer, or you're having the thought like, I should be doing anything but this. I think so, yeah. I think I knew in the end this is not what I'm meant to be doing and I know I'm okay at this other thing, this photography thing. Okay. I know, I, And I love it. But one of the challenges for me was do you get your ambitions mixed up, mixed up with your abilities? Hmm. Because, you know, you say, gee, this could be great. This life as a photographer could be fantastic. Yeah. But am I actually good enough? Yeah, totally. You know, it's like everyone. Yeah, I would love to be a singer. Yeah, everyone. I would. I look like that. This looks like so many. <laughs> or doesn't. a rapper. I mean, if I really had my choice, I'd be like a hip-hop artist. It's just not in the cards. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, not. It's like everyone wants to be a rock star, but there's only one bono. Yeah, right. You know, so. Yeah. And that was kind of the same way of looking at it. You go. There's lots of people who would love to be out there being a photographer doing that. So I said to my wife, look, I think I need to give this a, a real try because if I try and fail, I can live with that. But if I, if I never try, I'll spend the rest of my life going, I, you know what, I could have been. Hmm. I, I missed my moment. Yeah. So I and said, you're dealing with real risks. I mean, you're talking about walking away from a business where you're part, of, part owner. Yeah where there's millions of dollars in your future, but you're going, I'm willing to risk that. I mean, that's different than somebody going, all right, I'm not sure which career I'm going to choose. You're walking away from a career yeah. to try. And it's not like there's any parallel. The, yeah. two, the two worlds never collide. Right. You know, yeah, they, know. they just don't join. So, sure. yeah, it was. Um, but I think, as I say, the more I went along, I went, I know I'm not meant to be doing this. There's something yeah. else, you know, and it's trying to find, I suppose for most of us, it was for me, finding that place that you belong in life. Mm. Where do I fit? Yeah. So... And you were how old when that happened? Um, so that was late 30s. Late 30s. Yeah, so it's early, late 30s. early 40s. Early late 30s and all the success before that felt like it was success but not success that fit your it life. It was really great financial success. You know, And it's funny because you can be really good at something and I think I actually was good at that corporate world yeah. but I just didn't enjoy it and wow. actually grew to almost, you know, you start to despise it. Yeah, you know, right. It's this tension in your life of going, yeah. Uh, it's fine. And, did, and did you have some, did you have that thought like someone is going to love this, like someone is going this is going to match their life some way. Whenever I'm mismatched, I go, "There's someone out there that this is exactly what they need to be doing." Yeah, I'm in the way of someone. Yeah, exactly. I'm in somebody's space. Yeah, you feel like that. You know that you've got people who were working for me at that stage who were this was their life's passion. Yeah, right. And they just loved the whole car thing and that culture and the corporate world. And I'm going, man, I got to fly somewhere to another corporate meeting. Yeah, I, just, right. I just don't want to be on that yeah, plane. Yeah, right. So that's that. That takes me to the decision. Now, take me to the process. When you when you make that conclusion, you're like, okay, this is it. I'm going to transition. I'm going to make that move. What are some of the things you did to prepare for that shift? Because I think some people are having that conversation even now. Yeah. Someone listening is going, I'm in that job where I'm succeeding and I'm successful, but I but I hate this or I'm frustrated and I have this transition. What are a couple of things you did to prepare for that? Transition. Yeah, so I think the first thing was I realised that it wouldn't be a five-minute transition. I think that's one of the struggles. I talk to a lot of people now who come and say, hey, how did you make this happen? And I went, this, this for me was a conscious five-year decision mm. where I said to my wife at the time, I said, look, you know, I really feel like, and again, it was a, it's that struggle of are you hearing from God or, you know, that, that spiritual decision about I'm supposed to be doing something else. Is this really it? Right. Am I getting confused or is this it? And I said to her, look, what I want to do is give this five years and have a really, you know, try and look at what, who are the guys doing this at the best in the world, hmm. you know, at the level. Um, and I was fortunate to have a couple of guys come alongside me at that stage. 
um, and said, okay, I'm going to treat this like a professional. I'm going to act like a professional. And for a year, about 18 months of that, I was juggling both worlds. So I was trying to be in okay. this corporate world right. and and it just got so stressful. You couldn't, you know, you were working crazy, crazy hours. Mm. You know, you'd be sitting at home at 12.31 in the morning doing photography stuff and getting yeah. up at 6 to go to work, yeah, to, right. to do corporate. And, you right. know, and it just, but you, you wanted know, to make sure that you were prepared. I wanted to make sure, yeah. And, and again, I, I wanted to try and do that as long as I could to make sure I was making a wise decision that yeah. I, I wasn't in a nice way, just crap at this. Yeah, point. totally. And so were you focused, were you honing in on your skill at that point yeah. while you were transitioning? So very much it or was. Or you were honing in on like having a website and getting jobs and getting, yeah. does that make sense? Like you have a following now and a lot of, obviously a lot of relationships with those big publishers. But as you're making that transition, are you honed in on what's my craft? Or are you honed in on what are the routes in which I'm going to actually make this a career? Yeah, I think I looked at what, what do I need to do skill-wise to be, at least know if I'm good enough. That okay. was the big challenge. So I went, look, I've got to buy equipment at a professional level. I've got to think and act like a professional. So I need to look at and study these hmm. guys that are professional and go, what does that take? What yeah, level right. of commitment? And then what I did was I dedicated one weekend a month where I said, okay, I'm going to go off and do a photo shoot. So this was while I was juggling the two worlds. Hmm. So I would plan it like a professional, go, I'm going to travel to, you know, in Australia, I might travel to Uru Ezra, mm -hmm. and and I'll spend two or three days there and I'll photograph it, I'll work my butt off, then I'll come back into that world. And I did that for... And you know, you're back at work and no one I'm has an idea. On, You've been yeah. in the deep L back yeah, and you shooting the Milky Way. <laughs> fly back at some crazy time on a Sunday night and right. make it to work and, and back up you go. So I did that for about eight, that 18-month period just to see... Do I like this? Can I yeah. cope with it? And, right. is, and is the does the work stand up? Because I think that is the challenge. You know that you, you often go. You know, I really want to do this. I love it, but I I can't sing. You yeah, know, I, right. to, yeah. I just can't do it. So that was that was part of that. And then after about eighteen months or so, a couple of things where people started to notice the work, mm -hmm. um, and I got invited to do some exhibitions and some different stuff over in Sydney, um, and that led to some connections. And then some people starting to pick up the work and you go, well, gee, maybe it is. And about that stage I went, to be really serious about this, the only way to take the next step is actually to close the door on the past chapter. Yeah, right. Just to say, I can't, there's no way I can juggle these two yeah, worlds, right. do it well. So I've actually got to close this door and, and there's a bit of faith involved in going because it wouldn't pay the bills at that stage. Right. You know, it's early days. So you go, I've just got to step out and do it and go, I'm loving it. It's it's like I feel like I am where I'm meant to belong. Yeah. You know, I love being out in the wilderness, you know, just the amazing things you see. It's like returning to your childhood in yeah, that sense in a way was, of you sleeping in the ground and in the yeah. rivers and all those things. How long from... How long from the moment you quit that first chapter to when photography was paying the bills again? Probably another 18 months, two years. Oh, wow. So in that in that five-year journey, it was probably about four years to actually go, hey, I think this is this is where I'm meant to be, it's starting to get an income, it's starting to do all those things. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I just belong here. So it was like this wow. sense of joy that I had slowly lost probably over 20 years. Wow. You know, and going, I'm doing something I'm good at, but I'm not enjoying it, to go back to going, this is so awesome. Wow. I get up in the morning, I'm excited. Like, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, it's amazing. You know. And how old are you now? So I have just turned 50. Wow. Yeah, so. Amazing. So you've been at it for how many years? Um, so it's been full time for about ten, over 10 years now. 10 years. Yeah. Your, where, where, where have you gone? Where have you traveled? So shoot? I have done every single continent on the planet now, over 
70 countries at last count. Um, so some of the favourites, I did Antarctica in 2012, um, 2011, 2012 over summer, our summer, um, and that was for the 100-year anniversary Antarctica was founded. So went to the Australian Territory part of that. I know Americans own another big chunk, <laughs> but um, that was just an amazing place. You wow, know, to go to incredible. somewhere that's so isolated, you know, and that's seven or eight days sailing to get down there and it's just you are, the silence is deafening, you know, the colours wow. are amazing. It's just the last amazing wilderness on the planet, you know. So And then you contrast that with living with, the, you know, I was a little while ago, I do some not-for-profit work with some of my work now is in Africa living with the Maasai, you know, helping highlight some of the, the challenges they're facing. Wow. You know, so that contrast is just great. I just got back from Iceland, you know, doing a whole bunch of aerial work up there, Jeez. hanging out of a helicopter. On, you know, you can put a harness and stand outside on the skids and oh, it's, it's fun. You drink Dos Equis, right? I mean, you gotta be, <laughs> you're fitting in, that, in that, that, you know, most interesting man in the world category it's, very fast. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and when we pulled in, your car is like one of those big, for those of you who can't see it, it's one of those big... Range Rovers, like Land Rovers with the snorkel on the front, and you can live in it. It looks like you can yeah, live in it. There's probably can. a kitchen and a latte maker or something inside. I mean, it's <laughs> uh, we don't quite, not quite that much. <laughs> okay. but it's beautiful. Now, when you when you're looking at at that, like when you're just planning, and the book is beautiful in all those pieces, are you in a place now where you've like I've been to seventy countries, I've been on every continent. Are you looking at just going, eh, what's interesting to me? Yeah. Or do you have a strategy where you're going, there's these parts of the world, this part of the world. When you're looking to shoot something, what's the criteria for you? Yeah, I think now it's – I don't shoot cities. I, uh, my thing is wilderness, you know. Okay. So I love the – in a sense, the the more remote, the more wild, the more, you know, then that's what I'm chasing. So, you know, when people – I had someone talk to me recently and offered me four or five possible locations and all of a sudden they measured, mentioned this place called Kamakash in Russia, which there's no roads, there's no villages, you know, they're going to have a Chinook helicopter drop you in at 8 one morning, they'll come back the next day at 8 o'clock, move you to the next spot. I'm like – you have got my interest. Now, that's pretty cool. It's full of Russian, the big brown bears. Yeah. You know, so, so things like that. I just came back from Iceland and a couple of the guys that were flying me around up there were going, you have to go to Greenland. There's some spots there that are just yeah. so remote, 20,000 people, total population. I'm like, so that gets me excited. Yeah, um, that remote thing because I don't, I don't see a lot of that or not a lot of that out there where people are chasing those remote spot populations. And if you think about, you know, 100 years from now, there will be way fewer of those remote Absolute, populations, yeah. right? I mean, you're you're really you're really capturing the last of what some of these places are ever going to look like. Yeah, and that's one of the big concerns, you know. And what yeah. I do now that it's trying to highlight: look, we have this amazingly beautiful planet. You know, it mm. is stunning. Space is just stunningly beautiful, and the risk is that if we're not careful, we destroy them. Yeah, you know, it, it's this challenge that this generation has about you know we've got a choice for good or bad as to the impact we have. Wow. You know, and we're not probably doing a pretty good job at it at the moment, you know. Wow. So so the risk can be some of these places I'm photographing, even in 20 or 30 years, they might not look like that or even be there. Yeah, so wow. that's that's kind of scary. Yeah, it's you know, Because this is stuff that's been there for thousands of years that just with the level of growth, the level of consumerism, yeah. you know, environmental change, climate change, that I'm seeing some of these places that I went to 20 years ago don't look the same today. Wow. You know. So, and that's in our own backyard, somewhere as stunning as the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, you know, this famous, beautiful, one of the wonders of the natural wonders of the world, you know, starting to get bleached, starting to be overfished. Wow. There's all this stuff going on. Yeah. So we have this, I feel like 
hopefully by photographing that and showing people, yeah, that is stunningly beautiful. Yeah. You know, and it's almost pointing people to beauty. I don't want to beat people up and say you're doing a bad job or I'd rather say, look how beautiful it is. This is what we should protect. Wow. Now, with all of those places you've been and all the things, you strike me as a guy who may have almost died a lot. <laughs> so have you ever, I mean, you're like Bear Grylls meets, you know, some like a fashion photographer or something. For the, You're the fashion photographer for Mother Nature. You're fashion photographer for God's greatest work of earth. What, uh, have, you almost, have you ever almost died? I mean, have you had those moments where you're like, I got a virus, something crawled into my body, a bear tried to eat me? Like, have you had, because if you're getting dropped off in these remote locations, the anxiety I would have is, oh, Where's the antibiotics? Not where's the lattes or the sushi, <laughs> but where's the antibiotics? Well, and what do I do? I mean, have you had those moments? Yeah, I had an interesting moment earlier this year. I was finishing off stuff for the book, and I really wanted to photograph. And the biggest fish in the sea is actually called a whale shark. And mm-hmm. they're about um, 40 to 50 foot long. So, you know, they're this beautiful. And they're, they're gentle giants of the ocean, gorgeous. So we're in a place called Christmas Island, which is way off in the Indian Ocean, remote, remote, at a little you know, 20-foot boat hunting for these things and you just see a big shadow in the water. So I go, I, I've got all my diving gear on, I've got my camera, my underwater camera. I quietly try and get in off the back of the boat because you don't want to scare them. And as I get in and go to swim off, I feel like, have I jammed my fin or is, what's happened? And I turn around and here's about a 10, 11-foot grey shark's got my fin. No way. Yeah. So What's a grey shark? Is so like it's a like a, it's in that family there, um, like the grey nurse family. So okay. they're, they're, they're big sharks. Wow. You know, so... The, yeah. 12 feet. <laughs> so, and then does the water around you turn yellow? I mean, <laughs> well, I what even, happens when you... Know, was, a shark I was so your, surprised. You're going after a bigger shark, a smaller shark. Yeah, well, these you. are whale sharks. So the whale sharks are, you know, they eat like krill and stuff. Yeah, they, they don't eat they, humans or no, they, children they, or anything. But th- this is another totally different type of shark. So these are yeah. a bit more predatory. Um, still beautiful sharks, you know, and they're a bit misunderstood. You know, we paint sharks in this bad line and we probably shouldn't. So Because I'm in his backyard you got to right. remember, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this totally. is like two kilometres deep, the water here. You know, this is where he lives, not where I live. Right. And and I thought I'd got my fin jammed on the boat. You know, I turned around, he's there. So I just grabbed my camera and I bopped him on the nose. <laughs> so he's let go and we're kind of like about, I don't know, three or four feet away from each other. Just I'm stunned. He's stunned looking at me and I'm like, dude, what's happening? <laughs> so I'm still like, so, and it's one of those. And no thoughts in your mind of like, oh, this is it. This is where I lose a leg or a face or I think it was. So, it happened so quickly that okay. you didn't. So, but it is a moment where you go. You got. You got three choices. You know, you could quickly jump back in the boat. You know, and go. Okay, I, I'm freaked out. Right. I'm scared. You could hang on to the back of the boat in fear and just freeze and do nothing. Right. Or you go. I still want to find out what the other shadow was. So I went. No, I'm just going to. And it's a risk, you know. And that's the thing I'd say for me is that if you if you never take a risk, you don't have a story to tell. Mm. You know. So. I think no risk equals no story. Mm. So I let go. I swam out. He circled me for about 20 minutes. Okay. Another guy turned up as well. Um, but, you know, in the end, about 100 metres away, so about 300 feet from the boat, up shows this amazing, enormous whale shark. It's gorgeous. You know, I got a great photo of it wow. for the book. And, you know, I've got some photos in the back of the book of this guy, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm photographing while he's, yeah. he's swimming behind while me. While he's beating you up, you're going, this so, is great footage. Yeah, so... Um, and it's one of those real experiences, you know. So, and stuff like that happens. You know, I think if you're going to, so I don't want to be reckless about it. And and I, I've swum 
in Tonga with sharks and different things. So you you get a sense of staying calm, staying mm-hmm. relaxed. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not talking about taking someone that's never been in that environment, throwing them in and going, hey, right. dude. Yeah. You know, so you're not taking me with the whale sharks. Well, you know what I'm <laughs> we could take you <laughs> yeah, out. Right. <laughs> um, so I think there are risks associated. Yeah. But, but I just think, you know, we're so risk adverse nowadays. You know, yeah. we're so protect everything, protect everyone. Don't don't do that. Don't do this. And and the risk is we never do anything. Mm-hmm. We don't have a story to tell. You yeah. know, so for me, I know that some of my best images, some of the best moments I've had in life, we go, hey, there's a bit of risk. I'm going to harness up, stand on the outside of a helicopter. The guy's going to lean the thing over, you know, 75, 80 degrees so I can shoot straight down and get some great shots. And it's two or three degrees in Iceland. Wow. Um, but you go, it's incredible. You feel the most alive in those yeah, moments. that's incredible. And that's so much of what these conversations are, this podcast, typically hazardous, is about the risks you take to get to anywhere. And any that's what I've experienced in my life. The best moments in my life, the best seasons of my life, have been through walking through a door that was marked hazardous. Yeah. That was the dangerous, it was the risk, it was the most risk. And the more risk, the more payoff, the more return that I've experienced in my life. As I... Look to the future as people look to the future. What's your five-year plan? I don't have one. <laughs> I was told to ask you about five-year plans. Did you? So I figured I would, I'm going to bait you. What is your? What, do you have a feeling about five-year plans? No. Look, um, I think it's been a four-year journey finishing this book off. Um, mm-hmm. So it feels like I, I get about a month's break. And then I start recalibrating and saying, hey, what does the next couple of years look like? What do I want that to be? I think you can get too close to those five-year plan type thing. You know, this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And life is so fluid. I didn't know I'd get this call six weeks ago about Russia. Yeah, And right. saying, hey, we would love you. Well, you know, what can we do to get you there? Right. Um, and so, so I think you've got to be open. For me, I'm going... That really, it fits with, I want to be wilderness, I want to be really remote, I want to see parts of the world I've never seen, meet people I've never met before. Um, So all of a sudden, if there's a five-year plan, that fits in that window, and I'll just go with the opportunities. Got it. So your your future, because obviously if you're working on a book that took four years, you're working on things that that have five-year time horizons, but you're focusing more in general directions as opposed to I'm going to get to this by this point by... Yeah, exactly. You're not saying no to things. You're just more pointing in no, a direction. No, look, I, I think one of the things I would do is I say yes to most things. Mm. So, and I think that's probably been one of the keys. I've never to this day asked anyone for work. I've never said, hey, can... Wow. So they've come to me and said, are you interested in doing this? You know, um, and some of those have been incredible opportunities. Wow. You know, and... But most of the times I go, Yeah. That sounds pretty yeah, cool. Right. And you go, I have no idea. You know, yeah. early early days I had someone ring me who I knew and said, hey, I'm up in Tonga. We're searching for a shipwreck. We found one and we want you to come up and photograph it. It's, you know, 170 feet underwater. I'd only done basic diving. I go, sure, I'll come <laughs> and do it. We'll work it out. Yeah. You know, and that became a great journey that led to a whole bunch of other stuff. So wow. I think sometimes the adventure begins when you just say yes. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, what is your, How does your spiritual journey change or how does your spiritual journey engage your work so when you're sitting in a place waiting for this light to change or when you're spending for some of those photos you said it was 18 days of being in a place or scouting and looking for it and being in that space 
Do you experience God in nature? I'm going to go ahead and guess. Yeah. Do you experience God in that wilderness? Yeah, I'm not the guy, and I know some people, you know, who are the real scholars of literature or, you know, they'll, you know, be prayer warriors or whatever. That's not me. You know, my moments where I connect with God are in those quiet wilderness, Mm. you know, and that feels like that's my sanctuary. Hmm. You know, so sometimes just being alone, standing there going, and, and I recognise, look, I don't use lights, I don't use, you know, I'm not in a studio, I can't create that stuff. Yeah. I rely on God to do it. So I show up and go, Lord, I, I'll bring my very best. Yeah. I'll bring the best equipment on the planet, I'll bring hopefully the best training, all the skill that I have, but I know it's not enough if you don't show up. I, I need incredible light, I need all these elements yeah. to come together. So they're the moments, and when they do, it is like, worship you know it's like this amazing where you just go yeah i recognize there's something far greater than me out there yeah far more wonderful yeah and and they're just stunningly beautiful moments you know yeah there was a moment in when when i went to i went to burning man this past year and while i was at burning man there's this there's there's this area called deep playa which is deep in the this abandoned um you know ancient lake bed out in nevada and it's just all salt flats. I mean, it's salt flats and mountains. And Deep Playa is a space where all these art cars come out and everybody comes and the DJ plays and they play the soundtrack of the sunrise. So you go to sleep and then you wake up in time to get there for sunrise and you Beautiful. people are dancing and watching. And as the sun comes up, the soundtrack goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And here comes the sun and more light and it goes yeah, deeper wow. and deeper. And then everyone just goes insane, Same. goes crazy as soon as you see the light. And it was probably the most brilliant spiritual experience I've ever seen and the dialogue and the conversation I mean it was that's what we try to create with worship at a church service right you're trying to recreate that natural thing I mean where you're going some of these images I'm seeing in your book I'm looking at this going that's like the most brilliant beautiful if, if that was emotion if that was in place you feel like you're there you're experiencing that natural beauty of God yeah. that is giving a lot of people a window I can't go to the deep Recesses of Russia, but I can I can experience it. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to explain the connection at that point when those moments happen. Mm. You know, as spiritual beings, you, you you just go, "There's something so much deeper than just what I'm watching happening." Yeah, you know that you are experiencing. I've stood there in moments with just tears running down my face. I can't use words. I can't. You know, all I can do is press the the shutter on a camera <laughs> and go, "That's the best I've got," and it's pretty inadequate in those moments. Wow. You know, that's incredible. Well, this has been so amazing, and I love hearing your stories and your adventures. And I would love if you're going anywhere and you need someone to carry a, a, your food pack, to carry <laughs> a camera, to chase away other sharks, you let me know, and I will dive into any adventurous, <laughs> dangerous situation with you. And in the back of my backpack, I'll have like a sat phone and antibiotics and all the things that make me anxious. <laughs> it, last question. Are you, if you and God had a conversation right now, what would he say to you? I wonder if you'd ask, what are you doing to make a difference? Mm. You know, and that's the, the I suppose, the, the passion part, mm. you know, that I give my time and energy back to some not-for-profits and you never feel like that's enough. You know, mm. I've worked in South America with World Vision and in Africa with Water for Africa and, you know, and seen the plight of people whose lives are treated cheaply mm. and God doesn't see it that way. Mm. You know, he sees them as so amazing and valued. You know, when you're watching children die from drinking water that's diseased, mm. you know, out of a well and, you know, and 100 feet further down there's crystal clear water and I'm not doing enough to make a difference. Mm. So, yeah, I, I kind of always feel that that tension of, you know, God saying, 
you need to care and love people. What are you doing about it? Yeah. So no, that, that's beautiful. And But don't you think that's the tension? Totally. Like I don't think that's a curse on you. I don't think that's – I think that's – that's the tension that I hope we all feel, which is that tension of I can dive deep. I love the picture of you being in a remote village in Russia, taking beautiful remote photographs, feeling the tension that thousands and thousands of miles away there's people who don't have access to clean water. Yeah. And that somehow the deep um, immersion of you and your craft is actually connected to that deep spirituality that that is going to lead in some place to helping alleviate human suffering. Helping. I just think for all of us, we don't live in, I think there's people who would be extremist on both ends. Like, you can't do anything about that, so I'm going to live my own life. Yeah. And then there's other people who go, you, how can you do something so superficial? Have you have to go be there. And I just think that's a tension that we're invited all to carry. Yeah. That even when Jesus described things where he described that you're poor, the poor will always be with you. But he says, but he was talking about bringing beauty and deep spirituality. When the woman breaks the alabaster glass over his yeah. feet, there's a presence in which it, it requires all of us to live in that tension, not to fall on one ditch no, on either side I, of the road. I don't think you can compartmentalize. Yeah, but to live in that world. So, yep. man, that's so beautiful. Well, you're making a huge difference. Yes. You're, you're creating you. unbelievably powerfully beautiful portals in f to where, where people can see what's going on in the world and what's happening in the world and places in the world we never get a chance to go to. So I'm going to live vicariously through you, through your book <laughs> and your website. Do you have an Instagram? Do you have somewhere people can find you? Uh, social media, Facebook. Facebook so and what's your Steve Fraser photographs? Okay, fantastic. No Instagram yet. No Instagram. Oh man, I'm, like, I'm technologically challenged. Oh, man. we got it. How can you not be on Instagram? I can't. I'm, I'm in the wilderness. I got, I got no signal. I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah, no. Well, we'll get you. An See, Instagram. I could take you on a trip, and you could help me. There you go. Yeah, we'll I'll, we'll get you on Instagram today. So we'll, I'll update everybody on Instagram or something. Let them know what the deal is. But thank you so cool. much for being a part of this. It's I really been a pleasure. It. Yeah, you're awesome. Hey, thanks, Hank.